Hey everybody. Uh welcome back to Ignorant Bliss and my journey through the Watchmen show on HBO. This is episode uh number six. And it is called This Extraordinary Being. And this one um starts off a little bit differently. They give you like a a warning because there's like strobe effects later in the episode. And, you know, they have to do that because, you know, people with epilepsy can cause seizures. One of the most famous cases was an episode of Pokemon 20 some odd years ago. And it's kind of been a thing in TV ever since. But to really get into it, the logo switches from Watchmen to Minutemen, in which we're then brought back into... Um, an episode of American Hero Story with Hooded Justice in an interrogation room with cops as they basically try to butter him up to then blackmail him because of his sexuality and get him to turn on Captain Metropolis in which Hooded Justice takes off his mask and you see this waspy, Aryan-looking muscle man beat the holy hell out of these police officers, blood splattering all over the screen, this, that, and the third, and he overcomes them because he's hooded justice, and he's justice. And this is to let you know, basically, this episode is about hooded justice, and this episode uh, basically confirms some of my suspicions that I had since the first episode about who Hooded Justice is. Next, we see that this is, you know, of course, the TV show. As we're in the police station, following the events of the last episode where uh, Angela gets locked up because of the betrayal of Looking Glass uh, because basically of the terrible choice he had to make. And she's just swallowed a whole bottle full of these nostalgia pills. So... Our good agent Blake, with all her sarcasm, is basically telling Angela, like, yo, um, you need to cooperate so we can pump your stomach because you took a lot of this nostalgia stuff and this is not healthy. And this stuff was made for like old people with dementia and Alzheimer's. But um, uh, yeah, people got high off of it and um, you, you took way too much. You're supposed to take one pill, but you took all the pills. And just based on some like fuck you shit. And what happens is that she starts reliving the history of her grandfather. We see him as he is uh basically becomes a New York City police officer. Uh he is basically um sworn in and you get your first hit of racism as like out of everybody's class, the the I guess the preceding the presiding officer that's signing that's like congratulating all the police officers refuses to uh shake his hand, just passes him on by. While a lieutenant battle then shakes his hand and tells him to um watch out for the Cyclops. Now this officer battle is actually based off of a real person who was the first black cop in the New York police department. Nice little thing they put in there. While he, and while he's getting uh, sworn in or whatever, um, he's one person in the audience room for him, a young woman. Uh, The memory then fades into basically a jazz club where he and this woman are having drinks, celebrating his new job in which he, uh, chooses to chastise him on why in the world would he want to be a police officer, meaning that all police officers do is terrorize black people. And that basically this is bas- another way for the New York Police Department to use him as a PR stunt to make them look good. And, you know, he's going to think like, you know, trusting the law and you, you know, try to work things in the inside and, you know, having somebody in there to protect the people. She ain't really 
dealing with that. She's just telling him that he's angry. And he feels that he's not angry. And she's probably because of his past of what happened, the tragedy that befell him, that he has a lot of issues that he's not dealing with. Later on his first beat, he sees a man, uh, a white guy, kind of overweight, uh, take a Molotov cocktail and chuck it into like a Jewish deli. And he goes to stop him and he arrests him. And, you know, the guy, the guy basically basically chiseled because he's a white guy and this is a black cop. So basically, like, why the hell are you even touching me? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you're a black person. But he ends up taking him to the precinct. Um, and at this point, <laughs> he's trying to book him. This guy's like, yo, what is like, yo, everything he's saying is wrong. Willis having a hard time getting people to believe him, but then he calls Willis Spook and the other cops, then you know, makes him apologize to Will. Like takes him away, does this little symbol on their heads to the to the to the death sergeant. And Will thinks like, okay, you know, maybe some things is happening. Lo and behold, he's walking around the next day. Now, I say all this is that the transitions of of these things happened since their memories, and you see Will and Angela become one and the same. There are moments where there's actors playing young Will, and there's moments in which Angela and they're dressed in the same outfit because she's experiencing these things, and because of the nature of the drug, she's starting. She's she's her identity is getting lost within her grandfather's. And it's also all of the reserve black and white. And basically you can tell it away. Like the way in which we envision the past is just as much informed by, uh, the probably the most impactful art of the time. So for most of people in the 20th century, the way in which we think of things being old is either a black and white photography or black and white films, black and white films. They, it, it's mad is instantly it's old. So it's playing with that, that visual aesthetic of this is the way old things look through like nostalgia. It's nostalgic realms of like, of a film and old movie. So it's using like jazz, a jazz type score. It's, it's using transitions. Things are kind of set up even in a way that reminds you of like older stage plays that you might see like recorded. So like the transitions would be like doors in the middle of the street that goes from like an interior to an exterior the same way. So it even works like a play as well. So basically Will ends up in a newsstand and the new guy at the newsstand shows him this new comic. This new comic is actually comics number one because I forgot to say that Will becomes a police officer in 1938. And then he reads this comic and he's getting into it. The guy's explaining what the comic's about and what this Superman is and like, and Will instantly starts like uh connecting to this character because of the nature of his past. Now, the reason I say that is because if you look at uh, Will's past, the the Tulsa massacre and his escape from it is very much set up to be like young Kal-El put into the rocket ship and being sent away from Krypton as it explodes. The last survivor, the last son of Krypton, right? Um, so this is another harkening back, just like it was with that. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but the barren couple that we got in episode four. And, you know, them getting the child and to raise. Again, a lot of Superman references. Um... 
so here's here's another one. But he literally is connecting with the the comic of of the first appearance of Superman. That happens to be so. That means the time place of this would be summer of nineteen thirty eight. Um, be connecting with that the nature of the newsstand. It came out the first of June, and you know, newsstands being what it is. So we just put it like this: It's summertime, nineteen thirty-eight. He sees that guy Fred, the guy who threw the Molotov cocktail outside, because homeboy bumps into him on purpose. And he's like, "Yo, what the fuck? You should be locked up." Yo, you was you a straight arsonist, and he's like, "By basis, like ah, you can't catch me. You know, I'm out here. You know what I'm saying." And so my man Willis Piss, he go back to the station. He talks to Death I was like, yo, you let him out? And Death was like, yo, you need to chill for your own safety. So the other cops, the ones from before, kind of push up on him. And like, you know, get up on him so he's so angry or whatever. <laughs> and then instantly gets more attention. So later on, when Willis trying to go home, they pull up on him. So I'm going to give him a ride. He's like, I don't need no ride. I'm just going to walk home. They keep on doing it. Then they disappear. And then when he's walking down a little joint, they pull up on him. They get out. They beat his ass. They tie him up. They take him somewhere. They put a black hood over his head. And they string him from a tree. They basically begin the lynching process. And then right before he dies, they cut him down. <laughs> this was their warning to him to chill and get in line. Or he is going to die. So Will, now kind of beaten and angry and afraid, is basically walking back home. And then... He hears a woman scream. This couple's being attacked. So without thinking, he rips eye holes into this hood that was just put over his head, this black hood. And he puts that over his face. He still has a noose around his neck. And he starts beating up the attackers. He saves these people. He beats that person unconscious. The man... And the woman thank him for saving them. And then he ends up home and explains everything to 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 his woman, who I might have forgot to say her name is June. Which, again, is another interesting little Easter egg, again, to the origin of Superman. Because at this point, we've now found out that Will is Hooded Justice, the first superhero in this world. And with that being, I personally see that as being another connection to Superman. Um, June is also the little baby that Will picked up in the grass from the first episode that was the family that was riding a carriage. That was their child. Um, so they basically know each other their whole lives. So he tells her what happened. She asks him why did he put the hood back, put on. And then basically they start figuring out ideas. She's thinking that like this could be your way of working out some of your anger about what happened, this new identity you're becoming. And during this process, like he goes to sleep and then it fades from one scene to another. And then basically he makes this, this, this identity of hooded justice. And she comes up with the idea of painting the area around his eyes with makeup to make him look white so that no one knows he's black. And from that point, he starts going out. And the first thing he does 
is finds uh, Fred's, uh, I guess, grocery store and see that that's where, like, the Cyclops is one of their basic strongholds. So he goes into the back. He starts beating guys up. Looks like there's, you know, police or plainclothes cops or whatever. And, you know, he's backing it. He's wrecking, you know, his fist of cuffs. Pop, 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 pop. And then during the battle, he also sees there's a book on mesmerism. So he takes the book. He's still fighting dudes. They're going out into the store. When you see Fred, basically say, who in the world are you? He's fighting them. He's beating guys up on top of the lettuce. A nice little connection to the first episode with the with the seventh cavalry and the lettuce. And basically, you seem to find out that this is actually the uh, first full recorded appearance of Hooded Justice as described by Hollis Mason in Under the Hood. His autobiography, in which you read parts of in the original Watchmen graphic novel, which is also a lot of the basis for the TV show in the TV show of American Hero Story, Minutemen. So, but instead of him busting in and stopping the robbery, it's him fighting the clan, aka Cyclops up north, from destroying their plot of just like terrorizing black folks. And then when Fred takes out a shotgun, he like jumps through the window. At this point, um, Will becomes Angela again. It's like the scene stops and she's like floating in the air. And Lori's like, yo, we hit you with some adrenaline to wake you up. Your eyes are open. We need you to come out of this. Because, like, you might die. Like, you're in a coma right now. This ain't good. We need you to, to blink so it let you know that you understand what I'm saying. Which she does. And then uh, Lori brings out Cal. And Cal starts telling her her history. And that he's her husband. So that she don't forget who she is. And then she basically falls back into the memories, the nostalgia. Okay. At, at this point, it, it's, it's probably interesting to notice that some people pick this up, is that the Fred character and his store, um, right now all this is really is happening in Queens. Could it just his first appearances in Queens? A Will Reese's beat is in Queens. Fred is referenced to be Donald Trump's father. So, and Donald Trump's father, Fred, is a known racist. So, they're kind of hiding it. But that was a pretty interesting thing to try to connect things to current dealings of today. And it's also the reality. Also, the actor who's playing Fred is the same actor who plays the douchebag, uh, shitty other clown in Joker that sets up Arthur Fleck. But that's a great actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He was also in like the first season of True Detective, a.k.a. the only real good season of that series. He's dope. So, when we go back into the nostalgia memory, we have Will and June having dinner. They're then visited by Nelson Gardner. Nelson Gardner is Captain Metropolis, uh, one of the Minutemen of the first age of superheroes. And he's visiting them because he would like to have basically hooded justice uh, join a team of mass people that he is trying to create. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. So at this point in time, he thinks that Will is 
lick a beat cop that's feeding Hooded Justice information so Hooded Justice can go and do his thing. June being, and they say this, she's a reporter, being all smart and stuff, figures out that Nelson Garner is Captain Metropolis. And she, he's like, oh, okay, basically. So it gets to a point where he leaves. He leaves his information. June is like, don't team up with these people. Will is like, but like, if I team up with people, they can help me fight the Cyclops. So they have a disagreement to a degree. He's with it. She's like, no. Next scene we see, Will is in bed with Nelson. This is in which we find out that Will is bisexual. But, and here's another thing, that yeah, Hooded Justice did have a sexual relationship with Captain Metropolis. Night Owl 1, Hollis Mason, was not wrong. He had a pretty keen detective eye there. There was something going on with those two. So his book, he wasn't just speculating. And Agent PD was wrong. So at this point, Nelson basically tries to say, like, yeah, I just I knew you were uh, hooded justice. And this it's kind of like flirty thing, basically get him to join the team in which Will is like, yeah. And how much that'll do for the community and it'll validate their team having the first superhero part of their team. Which also reminds you a lot of having like the Justice Society and then the Justice Society not being a thing until like Superman and Batman joined up. More on that a little bit later. But then Nelson's like, sounds like the next time that they have sex, they should do it with the mask on, which again ties back to the whole like freaky nature of the masks and the superhero wing, which connects to like in the book where Night Owl was impotent except for once he got back into crime fighting with Lori and they had the outfits on. <sighs> this weird sexual thing with the with the superhero masks and the concealing identity and the sex. It's a thing in Watchmen. So it's just making us it's all, it's all a part of I guess the 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 masked identity uh nature in this world. <sighs> Oh, yeah, sorry, folks. I'm still under the weather when I'm recording this. Uh, I decided to still record and not wait until the whole show was over, even though I'm already super late on some of these. So, sorry if you don't want to listen to me kind of sniffle and have some raspiness in my voice. But for those who do, thank you. It's also of note to say that Nelson... Uh, is also very adamant that will keep his identity secret because of basically racism. And as much as he's tolerant of him, and he doesn't think that there's other members of the group that would be, and that not everyone can admire his beauty. And it, I guess that's interesting because you already have Captain Metropolis who's in a way is hiding himself because he's gay at a time in which that wasn't cool and you couldn't be arrested and a whole bunch of terrible things could happen to you. Who's basically has his infatuation or this romantic interest into this black man. And also essentially looks up to him because this black guy inspired him to be a costumed vigilante. So... There's more stuff where they're blending the memories, go into other memories, and then you get to see Will and June in bed, and then he he's trying to sell her on this. It's like, I need this team. I need this team to fight this foe because he doesn't feel he can fight this foe all by himself, which, you know, it makes sense. Like, the, the clan is, 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 is serious business, and it is more than what one person can do. 
And then um, basically she tells him not to make her cry again like she was when she was a baby in the grass and that she's pregnant. So you get a nice little montage to a certain degree. Will putting on his makeup, looking at, looking at clippings of the Nazis in the U.S. because that was a thing until we joined the war. Uh, there was an actual like Nazi meeting in Madison Square Garden. You can look at there's like a documentary about it. You can see it on YouTube. I think like it was real. And then uh, when the Minutemen take that that press picture that you see. It's like featured really heavily within the comic book. Uh, Hooded Justice says he's evidence of a secret conspiracy. And Captain Metropolis kind of gets in the way and talks about a crime wave being perpetrated by Moloch. And Moloch is important because he was like a low level psychic or whatever that Ozymandias copied his brain, cloned his brain and put it in the giant squid thing, Cthulhu squid that he put on the city. So, like, again, in a lot of ways, you have Moloch being used as a bait and switch. He's never actually a real threat. He's just like a prop to be used for these well-meaning blonde white guys to get over their own ideals on everybody else blonde rich white guys who feels like they're smarter than everybody else and then like Will basically is like defeated and just makes him angrier we get some more montages like June is raising their son Marcus and then Marcus is sees his dad Will putting on his makeup and putting on his outfit and he, as it gets to Will as like basically He's reading about more lynchings and like how basically the strength of Cyclops or AKA the clan is getting more and more powerful. So when he's in his civilian identity, I don't think civilian, but when he's as his self, his cop self, he ends up at a movie theater in Harlem and He's talking to like the black patrons, like a, a big, like a like a type of like a terrible crime or event happened where people just started wilding out. And maybe I shouldn't even use that slang. I'm just so used to that slang because of the, the history of wilding out in in New York with you know the Central Park Five and now known Exonerated Five. But it was in this in this story, uh, like a bunch of black folks in the movie theater just started attacking people. And Will talks to his woman and she says how there was this flicker before the movie started. And then they told her that she hurt people and she doesn't remember anything. And then Will's like, this must have something to do with that mesmerism book. This has something to do with Cyclops. And so Will's looking around and he sees men loading the projection equipment into a truck and is going to his warehouse. So basically, he follows him, which kind of reminds you of episode five with Looking Glass following the Seventh Cavalry into this building in his warehouse. And he sees like folks making a portal. So Will calls Nelson. Nelson. Nelson's like, nah, man, this is crazy. You talking about Cyclops is mind controlling black people to hurt and kill other black people? That's crazy. That's absurd. That can't happen. So he's like, why don't you just come over? We hang out basically. Why don't you? He's like. Yeah, why don't you come over so we can so we can have some sex? And basically, Will's like, I got time for this. I gotta save black people from Cyclops. So basically, he finds out basically what June was trying to tell him that like the minimum ain't gonna help you, bro. So he freaking hangs up the phone. He breaks the joint and he sees Fred there. And Fred is like, Yo, hold up, this ain't your beat. Why are you over here? And then, like, he offers some states, and, like, Will's like, hold on, this is not even remember who the heck I am. 
And then, like, basically, Fred says some racist shit to him. And you know what? Will don't even care right now. He pissed. He shoots his mama point blank in the head. Baka. This battle puts on his hood on. While he still got his cop uniform on, he walks up into the warehouse. He starts wrecking. So, because all the people was in there is cops. So, he starts beating the hell out of all them white cops and, like, beat his ass and hung them up. He starts beating all of them. Man, he shoots all of them, bruh. He kills Klansmen, policemen, all the same thing. Because they all in there. He goes in there. He finds his dude in front of, like, a screen looking like some proto. Uh, shoot, I can't think of the name of the movie. Like some old nostalgia proto clockwork orange, the end of the movie type of shit. And Will's out, hell no, he ain't got no more bullets. So, because this guy's basically tell, making a like a little subliminal movie that the black people would never hurt white people and they could only hurt and kill other black people. That's what they must do. And so he takes the microphone cord and he strangles this motherfucker dead. He killed that motherfucker. And he dragged all the motherfuckers in the middle of the goddamn warehouse. And he put some, some gasoline on that shit. He set that shit on fire. He grabbed one of the projectors. He go outside. He watch that shit burn. He get home after being the hooded justice cop version. After seeing all this craziness. And he sees like his son. Like putting on the white face makeup over his eyes and with the and like with the news and something in him where he sees his kid becoming him and this weird thing of like like you know how psychologically damaging it must be to like that you had to hide yourself by becoming white that takes the whole idea of like respectability politics and like passing and uh. Um, basically like black people having to talk a different way. It takes it takes it to a whole new level. He literally had to like paint himself white or his eyes and stuff so like people could accept him being a superhero. And it's amazing. So he sees his kid who's like he's passing this on to this generation. He's like, nah. And he kind of flips out a bit because he grabs his son. In a way, not like he's going to hurt him, but he starts, like, rubbing it off. And, like, June is like, oh, hell no, you wildin'. She's just like, you messed up. Like, you always going out here. I thought this shit was going to help you, but you can't stop going out. So, we basically, she leaves him with her son. And then they're going back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she's like, don't come around me no more. Don't come around here. Like, you, like she basically is like, he can't. He can't connect to his family no more. And you see that heartbreak in him. <laughs> so then it it, it it then merges back to where we are, I guess, in the little part we didn't see in the first, in the pilot episode, where we have an elderly Will played by Lewis Gossett Jr. And he got the noose and he's in the wheelchair. And Officer Judd rolls over the little joint, the little tire joint, blows his tire, and he gets out. And, and Will shines that little afflicting flashlight in his face and tell he might he uses he's figured out how to make mind controlling flashlights, bruh. Cause you know it's been like 70 some odd years, some shit. He tells Judd to push him up to the tree. <laughs> Turns off the light and says, yo, I'm justice. Him and Judd have a conversation. And basically Judd's so like, man, I'm trying to help y'all people. You know, like I'm trying to help the best way I know how. And Will's like, yeah, but you got a clan robe in your closet. And Macy Judd says, you know, that's part of my legacy. That's part of my heritage. I keep that because his granddad was in the clan. Basically, was like, I got no time for that. Clan, that's Cyclops. I ain't fucking with no Cyclops. Will's like, I don't know your granddad, but I know that. I know that outfit. I know what that joint mean. I know what that mask mean. And he puts out the little Cyclops symbol. 
the judge, like, whatever. And basically, it's nothing that judge can say to him that's going to make him think of anything else. So basically, he turns the light back on and tells judge to basically to hang himself. And that's what he does. And then Angela wakes up with a tube in her arm. And Lady True is like, hey, what's up? Welcome back. And that ends the episode. This episode, we ain't getting no Adrian Vite. This is the episode that, like, basically, for the internet, because it kind of redoes everything and makes the first superhero black. So this is like a lot of people probably who doesn't read the comic book maybe like lightly have and that's like the big thing and I think that is a really major thing making Hood of Justice black and it kind of fits once you know um, once you look at it it's like yeah like he's his, his outfit is the opposite of a Klansman but he has a, a noose around his neck um, his story is tragic and I was going to get back I said like I I said I was going to get back to that and the nature of like with the JSA, how the JSA became more validated with, with Superman and Batman. I've already stated how much like his origin is very much like Superman. He is the first superhero. He is like black Superman, but he's also Batman because June in the middle of the, uh, during the episode also talks about how he watches his parents were murdered and you have to think like uh, Will was watching a film of essentially a a pulp style hero that inspired him he carried this with him this childhood idea trusting the law and being a lawman and, and the mask the black hood and this vigilante justice of mask and, and taking out these evil white dudes from that point as he saw his parents was murdered because Will saw the theater get blown up. So he saw his parents die, essentially. And there's nothing he can do. And he, he carried that with him from a child on. So as much as he's on the rocket ship and he's, He's in a way rocketing away from this from this great society being destroyed, you know, depending on what version of whatever Krypton is blown up. Either either Brainiac does it or they're hubris by not listening to Jorel and it just exploding, whatever. His Krypton, his society is destroyed. He rockets away. And but he's also He's a young boy. He just watched this movie. He sees his parents are murdered by criminals. Because they're criminals to him. These are, these are uh, terror, terrorist white supremacists. And just like uh, young Bruce Wayne going to see Zorro. Because uh, also we can't forget like Bass Reeves is the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. So just as much as Bruce Wayne watches Zorro, sees his parents get killed, has the idea to be a masked man to go fight crime. Will Reeves does the same thing. So this character is not only he is he is Superman and he is Batman. He's essentially the DC Comics' first two superheroes. And to get all multiversary, it's interesting that he, he, he when his first day on, on the job as police officer, or maybe not his first day, but his second day, you can see Action Comics number one. And, you know, if you read Multiversity, that's the way the universes communicate to each other certain things. I don't know if they're going that deep. I just thought, I thought that was funny. I don't think anybody else really got into that. But for me... I was like, ha ha, ha ha, that's, that's, is, ooh, that's interesting. Um, so I don't, I don't know if a lot of people commented on that. I don't read everything piece, every recap, 
but the fact that his or his origin is literally is Superman and it's Batman's. They could they could throw a, a something with truth. Nobody's made out of clay, so you can't really throw in uh, Wonder Woman. But it's also uh, Angela seeing these memories and seeing how her grandfather got to be who he is and got to that point. And it also rings true with finding out about even more about Judd Crawford and what Looking Glass said. He's a white man in Oklahoma. Um, you know, all things ain't as they should be. He manipulated a lot of things. He very much is the comedian of this story. Um, and that's the reason why he, he dies first. So as we as we get even deeper, we basically this is the end of the second act, you know. We 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 learn something very, 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 very major to the story as it changes some of the context of the original work. You could probably ignore it if you want to, but it, it also makes the work make a little bit more sense on on um superheroes and the lack of diversity and the need for it to be white people, white men to be superheroes and the ones that do all these things and how sometimes history erases the achievements, the pioneering of black people, certain things like uh, rock and music, American music for one, like Elvis Presley's the king of rock and roll. But his first songs, he didn't write not near one of them. They were sung by black people. I think some of them were written by Jewish people. Um, which also, I think, connects with this story because the the first thing, we, the crime we see is anti-Semitic that Will tries to stop is like this white man trying to burn down this Jewish deli. Um I think that's important as well. It also connects it to Superman, superheroes, our creations. We want to say a lot. And, and you can say that superheroes are a quote unquote white thing, but really it's about a bunch of like first generation immigrant, Jewish immigrants making up these stories as ways to deal with the, 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 making their way in this American society and having to change their name to fit waspy ideals or uh, even trying to escape the the anti-Semitism of Europe as the Nazis and, uh, and the whole Axis powers were starting to rise up in Europe. So you you have that. You you have code switching and and blackness being hidden in whiteness and written out of history. And and also how like things are changed and exploited with future songs with the American hero story, how things are trying to like sensationalized and and made where it doesn't even matter if they're right or not, but to the point that people will probably believe that is the truth. With this being such an excellent show, this is probably one of the one of the better episodes. And actually you can say like since this is working on <laughs> This is not episode series. Uh, this is first season. If this, it's probably only a second season because it's popular. It's really well regarded. So, like the first three, the third episodes when we meet Agent Laurie Blake and things get changed up, and you're bringing this character back from the first book, from the actual comic book, into this world, which kind of can bring in people who are familiar with the material even more into it. And then with this, you bring in, you exp- expound upon a character that's referenced a lot in the book that is the, in- is the inciting point of the creation of all superheroes, but also connection to Lori Blake. This is the man that stopped her actual father from raping her mother. Uh, well, she still was sexually assaulted, but he stopped. He whooped his ass. And 
you you hopefully you get what I'm saying. But like he he's one that inserted himself in that situation to stop what was going on. So he connects to that too, but he's also the he's the reason why almost everything else happens. So it's like, okay, it's like one, two, three, go the third, we go back. One, two, we go back again. And it also notice that like uh there's not episodes if you look at a page and watch I mean, everything works on a nine panel grid, uh, that was Dave Gibbons invention, even though everyone wants to give Alan Moore most of the credit. Dave Gibbons is the one who decided to do that nine panel grid thing uh, to break down uh, Moore's script so he could work on that design way to, to get everything in there. He, he put that nine panel. So it's almost like there's an episode per panel on the page. And it also works, you know, it's a good, it's a good even number, just like 12 was. Now on to PDpedia. The first thing we get is a memo with from, from Lori herself, basically saying, PD, I read all your fucking memos. Uh, you can just tell me some of this to my face. And like she now she's like, yo, I gotta know if if Wade is part of Seventh Calvary or not, because now she can't totally trust him. Remember, we know more about what Wade is doing than she does. She's like, maybe he she he turned on her because of what happened, because she now because everything that Angela was experiencing, she was talking, she was saying. So she heard everything. So this changes up everything for her. She's like, yo, Hooded Justice was black. Hooded Justice was married. Hooded Justice was bisexual. That's why Hooded Justice wasn't with my mom. Uh, this is still the guy that like protected my mom. This is a lot of things happen. This changes a lot. And she recorded it. And then she's now had to work on like Everything, this changes a lot. This is what Cyclops is. Cyclops is the pre- precursor to the Seventh Calvary. All the shit is connected to the clan. We got to really, got to get this popping. I need to see what's going on. She actually used to think that Hooded Justice was her dad. But clearly, that's not the case. But now she also knows about Judd Crawford. She knows about the, the clan robe. Changes a whole bunch of things. That's why people need to read uh, Pedipedia. Because later on, when I do do my episode about uh, episode seven, they don't really explain how uh, Agent Blake knows certain things. But if you was reading the Pedipedia, you know that like, yo, she 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 heard everything. She recorded it. She listened to it. And then you also get the will of uh, you get to hear about the the will of of uh, Nelson Gardner that he basically left he left stuff to uh, to Will Reeves even though Will Reeves didn't want anything to do with him anymore he he left it he left it to him out of like basically as an apology for not backing him in the regards to Cyclops. And because there's a certain, there's a certain point like um, Nelson Garner, Captain Metropolis dies in the seventies. But there's a point in which um, in original Watchmen book, when he tries to make a new team with the with the new generation of heroes with Rorschach, with Night Owl 2, with Dr. Manhattan, with Ozymandias and Silk Spectre 2 called the Crime Busters. And it kind of falls apart right there. He's kind of old and out of it. And he's not able to keep them together. And while those those people are allies, they don't actually become an actual team. They just become like a community of superheroes. But it's still easier just to call them the crime busters, even though they never actually did anything as a team. And he's really, you could just tell he's really sorry. And there's a reason why, like, uh, 
you find out that Will Reeves ran a uh, that movie theater in Harlem where that event happened, and he basically that's probably where he was studying how to that projector stuff to work. And from them, you also get to learn about uh, basically a, a Tulsa newspaper about Lady True and about what's fact and what's fiction. And it's more speculation about her. It's basically setting you up for more stuff that's going to happen, I guess, in the last three episodes. But I've talked a lot on this episode. This is a media episode. This is probably going to be a fade for a lot of people. Uh, I would like to thank my patrons for supporting me and milking this podcast. You can uh, email the show at ignorantblisspodcast at gmail.com. Reach out on Twitter, IGBL Podcast. On Twitter, uh, I'm also Julian Lytle, L-Y-T-L-E. On all social media, um, I hope you like it. You can leave a Nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. This is also on all the podcast things that I can think of, even though there might be other ones. Like, I'm not on iHeartRadio, I don't think. Uh, but that's about it. And hope you have a good morning, afternoon, or night, or whenever you listen to this. Uh, and peace. Peace.